today's scripture reading is from John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a couple of days ago, we all experienced yet again what we've learned is an atmospheric river. It's sort of funny, you know, when you think about it. Um, it's sort of a new thing. I mean, I suppose scientifically it's not a new thing, but this, this phrase calling it that is. Um, Wikipedia, we all love a good Wikipedia definition, defines atmospheric river as a narrow corridor or filament of concentrated moisture in the atmosphere. Other names for this phenomenon are tropical plume, tropical connection. Don't you wish they would have said, we're about to experience a tropical connection. That sounds so nice. Uh, Moisture plume, water vapor surge, or cloud band. (laughs) Another definition, I think this is from the Google computers themselves, they, they call it an atmospheric river is a long, narrow band of tropical moisture that gets carried along mid and upper parts of the atmosphere. These rivers in the sky can transport significant amounts of water vapor from tropical regions near the Ecuador to mid-latitude locations like Northern California. And so here we are. And that all may good and uh, be good and fine scientifically, uh, but uh, I'll just simply say that in my mind, an atmospheric river is when there is a lot of water and a lot of water and a lot of water that seems to be coming horizontally uh, because of all of the wind. Uh, my, my youngest son, Luther, and I, on Thursday, we had to make our way to the East Bay to Fremont. And so, you know, the rain was kind of steady earlier in the day, but again, the atmospheric river was coming, and so uh, we took off around 2 in the afternoon, and, and there was a lot of water on the freeways as we drove 101 south. I mean, not just coming down, but like, this direction at us, uh, on the 580 and Richmond Bridge, on the 580 past Richmond and Berkeley and Emeryville, and you can all imagine where I'm at at this point. And then uh, our good friend Waze didn't want us to go 880 and go around, you know, past the Coliseum and Airport, but had us continue on 580 uh, and then cut back over eventually uh, as we wound our way past Oakland and other places and then eventually made our way to Fremont. There was a ton of water because of this atmospheric river. All of that is simply to say, uh, this past Thursday, um, this water was pretty intense. You can see why the the powers that be encourage folks not to be out uh, driving. We we drove by probably four or five uh, incidents that happened, thankfully, before we got there, and, and the ones we passed didn't seem to be too serious, but probably those were four or five additional incidents that wouldn't have happened had it not been so wet and so on. And we understand all that. It's dangerous to drive when there is that much water coming sideways. I find myself as a dad having a newer driver in the house whenever 
this, this newer driver is driving in the rain, drive slower. Just remember, drive slower. Extra alert. Anyway, uh, that just is reflexive, and we all understand that. We are in a sermon series, as you see on the screen, Signs to Believe, and, and you just heard Dana read for us an incident that, I'm, if they had the phrase atmospheric river back in the time of Jesus, it would have been used by John, I think, to describe what, what we just heard. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. This, this series, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, this is now Sermon 4. We are walking through the miracles in the Gospel of John, but John doesn't call them miracles. He prefers the word sign. So at the end of John, we've looked at this uh, slide and these two verses, every message so far, we'll probably keep doing that. In John 20, 30, and 31, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, many other miracles, but, but he calls them signs. And he says, these are not written in this book, but these. And John, he has seven that he specifically gives us an account of, eight if you count Jesus's uh, resurrection, which we will get to on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. These seven are written, verse 31, so that, you, and that's us by implication, he's writing to followers of Jesus after the time of Jesus, so people that had come after, which includes us, that we may believe to trust. Remember, I, I want to remind us of that. When the Bible talks about faith, it, it's, it's the idea of trust and, and believe. It, it's, they're all connected, these words. Uh, to believe is to trust, is to have faith. That we may believe, trust in, have faith in Jesus, but not just in general, but that Jesus is the Christ the promised Messiah, the anointed one, and not just the Christ, but the Son of God. And that by having this belief, this trust, this faith, we might have life in his name. Life. That means right now life. That means, yes, an entrance to eternal life one day, but life now. That we would experience the eternal kind of life now, that is why John recorded these. He wants us to get an idea of who Jesus was and that he was, yes, this miracle worker, but not just miracles for the sake of miracles, but that doing these signs, they point beyond themselves to, to deeper realities. And so as we come today to this account of Jesus walking on the water, we are going to see that as Jesus walks in the water, he is, in fact, the Lord of the storm. Lord of the sea, but, but Lord of the storm. We want to unpack that today. So if you have your Bible, I ask you to open to John chapter 6, and we're going to make our way into this, this account. Now, some of you are, are sharp, and you said, well, wait a minute, Paul. Um, we, we did the first sign in John 2 where Jesus turned water to wine. Then you, you taught through the healing of the official son in John 4 the second sign. Then last week, the third sign in, in John 5, where Jesus healed the lame man, um, you're skipping over uh, the next sign. And that's true. The beginning of John 6 records for us the, the famous feeding of the 5,000 sign and miracle. Um, we are skipping it today because we have a guest speaker in a couple of weeks who requested to speak on that sign uh, in, in our series. And so I said, of course, you can do that. I will jump on ahead and uh, it'll be just fine to skip one. So those of you that have you know, troubles with 
not having ordered, you'll be okay. We'll, we'll come back. We will cover it even as we move past it today. So John 6, we're going to be at 16 through 21. Uh, before uh, we do get into it, um, let me just kind of hit the pause on the sermon. I wanted to mention two things, and I forgot earlier, and God brought them back to mind right now. So before I forget again, I want to mention these, uh, these two items. Uh, first, um, again, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we dealt with in our city, in our region, uh, the tragedy at uh, Montgomery High School and, and the situation there and this young man, Jaden, having lost his life. Um, I want us to pray because today is the memorial service, funeral service for this boy uh, at New Vintage Church across town. And I had a pastor's meeting Thursday. We pray every couple of weeks, the pastor's in town. And uh, Darren, the pastor at New Vintage, was there. And um, wow, I, I just can't even imagine um, the wait for, for him as a pastor to do this service in, in light of the context of, of this young man's death. So we're going to pray for him in a moment a new vintage and, and the service this afternoon. It's at 2 p.m. if you want to be remembering to pray. But then the other announcement and prayer, we've been talking for the last few weeks that we have a chance as a church to be uh, the support friends for uh, this family, the Sincera family, uh, that uh, they have uh, four kids of their own. Two are out of the house, but two are still home. But they have taken on five, count it, five, in addition to their own two uh, foster kids, four that are siblings and one that's not and so this husband and wife, they have a lot going on. And so as a church, we are rallying to be their support friends, and, and a bunch of us are kind of in that process. Uh, but as we all move forward in that process, and there's some time to uh, go through the, the steps required, um, we can still be a blessing as a whole church. And one simple way is a meal train. They, they had a meal train that kind of expired, I think, this weekend, uh, but reaching out uh, to them, Kim Hoyer, our advocate, found out that uh, the mom, Amanda, she communicated how blessed she was. Uh, she said, I can do meals on the weekends, but during the week with uh, work and then getting kids to appointments and therapy and parent visits and dental off visits and, you know, all of it, to not have to do meals during the week was huge. And so uh, that meal train has been extended. I'm going to push out an email uh, to us as a church tonight. And you can click, you can sign up. They're pretty simple eaters, but that's a simple, easy way. We can love our neighbor, even as we talked about. And so invite all of us to be a part of that. So we want to let you know about that. You'll get an email about that. And uh, so join me as, as a word in a word of prayer for these two things. So God, first I pray for Darren and the team at New Vintage Church this afternoon that will be leading in this funeral and memorial service for this young man, Jaden. God, may your spirit be at work. May, may your presence be real to the grieving family and friends. And may your word, I know Darren wants to speak uh, truth with grace into this context. So would you help him do that this afternoon? And we pray what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, that um, we, we ask this to the one who can do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. Um, do that today at New Vintage. In that context, God, bring, 
bring grace out of a tragedy. And I pray even this service today might, might be something you're doing in that context. And then, Father, for this, uh, this family, the Sinceras, and um, all that they have going on with these foster kids, thank you that we get to be support friends. And as that process is happening, thank you that in the meantime, we can all be a part of something as simple as blessing them with meals. And so we pray for them. Uh, and their load is, is mom and dad, and, and now foster mom and dad, and for the kids. May your grace be at work on display in that home immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now back to John 6, verses 16 to 21. And we are going to see Jesus, the Lord of the storm. Uh, so first, we've got to get a little bit of context. And if, if you ever dealt in real estate, you know that the most important word in real estate is location, location, location. And when it comes to our Bibles, understanding what's going on, the most important word is context, context, context. So John 1 through 13 are the story, the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We'll have to wait a couple weeks to hear, hear the sermon, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. So the, the, the sign has just happened. 5,000 have been fed, and now it says this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people have experienced an amazing miracle. Um, 5,000 and more have, have just been fed um, and so Jesus is aware that there's excitement over what has just happened and, and, and they're going to want to force him to be king because in their mind, when Messiah, the anointed, would, would come, he would overturn any rulers besides him. And that, of course, in their context would have been Rome. And, uh, and yet it wasn't time. Jesus, his first coming, his first arrival, that, that first advent was him bringing the kingdom, but spiritually, Yes, he's king and he's come with his kingdom, but he, he then, of course, would live and die and rise and now ascend where he is. He ascended where he is now. And one day he will come for his second arrival and there and then he will be the king and will rule. But until that time, his kingship, uh, his kingdom is his, his reign in the lives of God's people. So it wasn't time for that. But notice the words in verse 14, that the people perceived that, that this sign meant that he is indeed the prophet. What is that all about? Well, they had in mind the promise from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19, and I'll just read these. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. The Lord will raise a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet, now God is speaking, like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That promised prophet there in Deuteronomy, this, this new Moses, you might say, is none other than, than Jesus. And the people, they perceive that. In fact, we don't have time to tease it out, but 
but John, the end of John 5, the, the discourse, the teaching that Jesus gave after he healed the lame man, uh, and then what we're going to eventually see in the first part of John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the connections for Jesus's audience immediately and, and John's audience, those who first heard this, they would be thinking Moses. I mean, they just would be thinking, wow, just as God used Moses with the manna to feed the people, now this one Jesus has somehow multiplied miraculously all this bread and over 5,000 have eaten. So they were connecting dots. We're, we're going to hear a bunch of the Old Testament in just a moment, uh, some of what goes into this and why, but, but at this moment, they, they are perceiving this must be the prophet. And Peter, in fact, a little bit later in Acts chapter 3, he, he's going to identify Jesus explicitly as fulfilling this prophecy. Again, the people were ready to do that, and it was true that Jesus is that prophet, but it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to overthrow Rome or do any of that. So what does it say? It says that, uh, verse 15 now, Jesus, perceiving all this, uh, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Um, the feeding of the 5,000 and then the immediate sign miracle of Jesus walking on water. We have it here in John. It's also recorded for us in Matthew and Mark. Uh, Luke has the feeding uh, sign miracle. He, he doesn't include the walking on water, but it's fun when we, we get to an account, especially in John, that comes right in with the synoptic uh, gospels and, and what they include. And in Mark's account, this is how Mark puts it. Immediately, that's after the feeding, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain. And then Mark tells us why. He didn't just need some downtime. He just didn't need to just be alone. Specifically, Mark says he went up on the mountain to pray. He, he did want to be by himself, as, as John put it. That is by himself, not with other humans in that time, but he needed to be with his heavenly father. He needed to pray about what had happened and about what was still to happen and, and so on. And so that is just a brief understanding of what, what has happened, what is going on, as we pick up then now uh, our account, beginning at verse 16, and we're going to see the storm on the lake. So John 6, starting at 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind, an atmospheric river, was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now we hear this phrase, the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's also the lake. It's a lake, actually, the Lake of Galilee. Uh, it goes by other names as well. Um, get this, the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. Pretty, pretty remarkable to think about that, 600 feet below sea level. Um, it's a lake. Now, don't think Lake Sonoma, you know, or, or Lake Mendocino or Lake Berryessa. And there, there could be some wind. Those of us that have lived here and have been out 
uh, on boats and whatnot on those lakes, you know, the afternoons can bring some, some wind, but nothing like that. In terms of size, um, think closer to Lake Tahoe, okay? Um, now, not quite. The Sea of Galilee was about two, is, is about two-thirds the size of Lake Tahoe, but again, that's significantly bigger than our little regional lakes. So, so just kind of imagine that. And 600 feet, it sits below sea level. It's big. Uh, scholars, writers note that what happens, not just back then, but still, cool air from the southeastern tablelands, they can rush in and displace the warm, moist air over the lake, churning up the water in a violent squall, atmospheric river kind of context. Uh, these sudden and harsh storms on the lake often force, even today, modern powerboats to remain on the land. People say, no, we're not going out there. This is too dangerous. It's like being in the ocean, like being on a sea until the storms subside. Fishermen, and of course, Jesus' disciples, some of them were fishermen, they would not normally go out on the water. But, but Jesus had told them to go, and now they are caught in this storm. And it says in, in the text that uh, they had been rowing uh, about three, what does it say, uh, rowed in verse 19, three or four miles. They're, they're definitely probably past halfway to where they're going, but they're like in the middle of the water. And that, that's the idea. They, it's logging, right? There's no big motor to, to crank up the horsepower. I mean, they are working to get across, and they are fighting the storm. Let's continue. I'll pick up again at verse 19. And now that's the storm, but let's, let's see what John has to say about Jesus, the, the Lord of the storm, the Lord of the sea. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Oh, yes, indeed. Wouldn't we all be? Who can walk on water. No one can do that. Verse 20, Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then verse 21, then they were glad and they took him in the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Right here in this section where we see just, again, Three verses in John, um, we, we have so much truth about who Jesus is and that he is Lord and Lord of the storm, Lord of the sea. All these allusions that would have taken them back to the, the Hebrew scriptures for them to the Old Testament. Uh, this was a powerful, visible demonstration of Jesus' ability to defy gravity and, and you know, anything scientific to, to walk on water. But what they knew, these fishermen and, and tax collectors and zealots and this rad-tad group of closest followers, and by the way, it's interesting, um, they were the only ones that experienced this, right? So Jesus had dismissed the crowds, and, and the crowds are going to walk and get to the other side. They're going to go on the water. Jesus is on the mountain praying. They're struggling. He comes out walking, and they have this moment, Right? The crowds don't even experience this one. This sign is just for them. Keep that in mind. This was, this was for them. So this ragtag group of disciples, 
fishermen, zealots, tax collectors, and, and the like. This is some of what they knew. They knew that, according to their scripture in the Old Testament, as we call it, it's God alone who rules over the water, over the seas. Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Or Psalm 89, verse 9. You, God, rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 107, verses 28 to 30. We'll come back to this one again, but it says that then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Those are in the Psalms. But Job, chapter 9, verse 8, also says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? It's God. God rules the sea. Or, yet again, back to the psalm, Psalm 77, 16 to 19. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Who can walk on the sea? Not, not a mere mortal God. God controls the sea. God can walk on the sea and have his footprints be unseen. One writer says this, who could walk on the sea? Water does not hold together under the weight of mortal man. It separates and we sink when we step on it. Not so with Jesus. Okay, think for a minute. And some of you that are younger, maybe you've done this more recently, but, but even those of us that are a bit older, think of being at a swimming pool and just, you know, jumping and playing. I mean, how many of us have ever tried to like, you know, how many steps before we go in? I mean, come on, am I the only one that ever did that? Okay, thank you, Nick, honest soul, a couple over here, right? We, we've played that game when we we're kids. We've like, you know, can we do like Fred Flintstone really fast and, you know, get across? But no, we sink, we sink. Water separates and we sink, but not with Jesus. So he's walking and they're, they're afraid. And Mark and Matthew, they think it's a ghost. They think this is some kind of sea phenomenon. We're tired, we're seeing things, we're, you know. John doesn't record that. They said that uh, here in his account. But he notes that they were frightened. And then look again back at the account. Verse 20, he, that's Jesus, said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Now, literally, that's, that's what it says in the Greek. That's just a good translation. It is I. But also, interestingly, literally in the Greek, Jesus, another way we could translate it is I am. And some of you are nodding because you've heard that before. In fact, in John, Jesus is going to use that phrase a bunch of times. I am the bread of life, and, and I am. And, and that saying would have caused his hearers, and it needs to cause us to go, oh, wait a minute, go back again to Moses. Because Moses met God, and when Moses said, God, you're sending us to Pharaoh and to do all this, to, to be used by you, to rescue your people, who, who do we say God is sending? And God's self-revelation to Moses was, tell them, I am who I am is sending you. This This idea of God being the self-existing one is bound up in God's identity and who he is. And so when Jesus starts saying, I am, their antennas are going up like, whoa, wait a minute. There's only one I am, and and you are the I am? And so here, he is literally saying, it is I, I am. Okay, don't be afraid. It's, It's me, okay? But, but they might have been thinking back to that. And again, in John's account, this is going to come up over and over again. One more time to Psalm 107, 25 to 30. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. So hear it again from John 6, the end of verse 19. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, I am. Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Oh, John the Apostle, he knew his Old Testament Psalter, and he knew that Psalm 107, verse 30. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. And if we are to take John literally, which I think we should, John says immediately the boat was at the land, and so miraculously Jesus comes in, they're glad, the implication is the storms are done, and boom, all of a sudden their journey's done, and they, they arrive. And again, the crowds don't see this. They don't marvel. This, this sign was for them. This sign was for them to, to once again be reminded that what they have been witnessing, Jesus turning water to wine, Jesus healing an official son just by giving his word. And even though the son is some 15 miles away, right, as it all gets told, immediately the son is healed. Jesus has, has healed someone who for 30 Eight years, we looked at last week, had been suffering. And immediately, remember, he's able to stand up and to, to walk. And on the Sabbath, no less. And, and they have just witnessed this miraculous feeding. 
which we'll get to. And then they get this privilege of this sign. Here comes Jesus. And so their understanding of who he is is continuing to grow. Jesus is Lord of the storm because he is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is God. He is Yahweh. He is I am. In Matthew chapter 7, so not Matthew's telling of this incident, but Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends that sermon with a story. It'll be familiar to many of you. It's interesting how many times uh, in the Bible, uh, and you've heard me read a bunch of Old Testament, but how many times storms and, and the winds and the rain, like that, that picture, it's there a lot. And I was, again, reflecting on this. I mean, we are in a building that we trust is going to keep us dry. And most of us, where's my good friend Chris? Bless him. He walked here this morning uh, to get here early to do the slides, and he was soaking wet. He, he came in the rain. But most of us, we, we've got cars. We're in a building. We've got umbrellas. We've got, you know, things. And as I was driving to Fremont the other day in the midst of the atmospheric river, I was just contemplating, like, yeah, we, if we had to live like they did, we would, we would think the same, like storms and wind, it's dangerous, it's havoc, it's, it's sign of evil, and that's, that's the picture you get in the scriptures. So Jesus used that in his teaching, and at the end of Matthew 7, and I, I close with this today, Jesus tells this, this story. It's a, it's a parable-like story. After teaching about his kingdom that has come, that's spiritual, but it's here. And, and after teaching on uh, the commandments that are, they're not just outward, but they're of the heart. And, and, and God looks at the heart, not just outwardly and, and, and about prayer and about uh, so many things, right? Matthew 5, 6, 7, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ends it with this story. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house storm crazy storms but it that house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain fell, floods came, winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So everybody would have been understanding that, that picture, and we understand it too. We can just think of some of the roads leading to Places like Santa Cruz, like no way am I going anywhere near Santa Cruz over that hill road for a long time because of all the water and the runoff and so on. And, and we can think of our own yard, just, you know, the, the amount of water right now. And we're thankful, Lord, for it, but there's so much in the ground. And every, we, we all get this. And Jesus says, if you've heard my words and you obey them, you follow me, you're, you're going to be like a person who has this house built on a solid foundation and rain is going to come and winds are going to blow 
And it's a picture of life, storms, trials, struggles, sickness, temptation, evil, like life. Christians aren't immune from life. Bad stuff happens to everybody. But if we are following Jesus, our life is founded on the rock of following him, walking with him. We'll get through it because he's with us. We sang that song a few minutes ago, pulling from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, our good shepherd is with us. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm with you. Follow me. And yet people who hear his words but don't follow him, storms and life and trials and struggles and sin and sickness and all of it, life still happens, but their foundation isn't secure. So as we reflect on the Lord of the storm, who is Jesus, the one we follow? He's God. He's the one in charge of it all. He's sovereign over the storms, literal of life and the figurative storms we face. And he's with us just as he comes to his disciples and says, don't be afraid, I'm, it's me. He says to each of us, are you going through a storm? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've got you. I'm with you. It's in him, in Christ alone, <laughs> that we have hope. So would you stand and let's declare that song, that truth, as we finish our service this morning. Please pray with me. Thank you, God, for our Lord Jesus, the Lord of the storm. And I thank you that right now, even in this room, Jesus, you as our good shepherd, you are aware of every storm we are going through and facing and dealing with, and you are the Lord of that storm. And I pray we would take courage from this account of you walking on the water to hear you say to us, it's I, I am. I'm with you. I'm, I'm the sovereign one. I'm God. I've got you. I've got you. Keep your eye on me. Keep following me. It's me. As we, as we said earlier and prayed earlier, may we live like we believe these things through the storm, through it. Help us. We need help in that. Thank you for your grace that saves but your grace that is there to train us and sanctify us and encourage us, and we need it. In Jesus' name.